This morning's uh, scripture reading will come from Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and, the, and of the love that you have for all the saints, moving down to verse 9, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, here we are. It's the last day of 2023. And, you know, looking around the room and as I was thinking about our extended church family all throughout the week, I was thinking of things that different ones of you have gone through in 2023, things that were joyful, things that were very, very hard and painful and tragic. Regardless, here we are by God's grace and we're looking forward to a new year. If you're like me, there, this is a great time, almost like Advent, where we do this in-between thing, where you're, you're looking back on the year that is coming to a close and doing some reflection on like, just what happened. And I do this thing on CNN or whatever, where you just literally reflect on these were the top news stories of the year, top 10 things that happened in our country, around the world. And it just kind of like provides a framework for like, oh yeah, that happened all this year. It's wild. And this is what happened in my personal life. This is what happened in our church. And then there's this pivot and hinge to, I wonder what is going to happen this year. And we look forward in a way of like, I expect certain things to happen and you expect certain things to happen in 2024. But we know there are going to be a lot of things that happen in 2024 that not only did you not expect, but nobody expected. Nobody knew that those things were going to happen. Um, it's also a great time of the year to be thinking, not just like what's going to happen in my life, but more of literally asking God for his direction. And many of you are doing that right now, whether you call them New Year's resolutions or just like, what is God's plan? Like, what should I be focused on? Uh, maybe something in my life that needs to change, something I need to do more of or do less of or not do at all or begin doing. And we're thinking in these terms, and all of this kind of falls under the umbrella of what is God's will for me this year? And I want to talk to you this morning about just a very simple topic of the will of God. Talking to you first, what is it? Secondly, I want to share a couple popular views on finding God's will and talk about what is concerning about those popular views. And then finally, I want to say, like, how can I know God's will for my life and what do I do with that? So what is the will of God? And I think each of you, whether you're a follower of Jesus right now or not yet a follower of Jesus, you probably have some concept of what the will of God is. Well, what is it? Theologians talk in terms of generally three categories of God's will. I'll just overview these each momentarily. Um, and I want you to see which of these you tend to think of as God's will when you're praying for God's will in your life. The first of these categories is what's often called the sovereign will of God. And a key word would be plan or purpose. A key question would be what is God going to do in the big picture? And so verses like Ephesians 1.11 that says, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. 
It's that kind of will. Or Daniel 4 verse 35 says, he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So we're talking about just God has a plan. God has a purpose for all things. There's a big story being told in the history of the world and that is part of God's will, that he has a plan. Then the second category, which I think we're probably thinking of more often than the sovereign will of God, is what's called the moral will of God. And a key word here is commands, okay? When you're reading through the Bible and you're, you're seeing like, what does God require of me? What does God desire of me? That's this moral will of God. So the idea here is something like 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Or 1 Peter 4.2, live no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And what he's talking about in verses like that is there is a moral will, there's an ethical will. That will is, I desire for you not to do certain things that are harmful to you, that are unloving, and I desire that you do other positive acts of virtue and that is the moral will of God. But then there's this third category, which I'll call the individual will of God. And a key word here is the word personalized. This is the question, what is God's unique plan for my life? And, you know, I was a college pastor before I was a church planter and then a lead pastor. And as a college pastor, this was a very popular topic of conversation amongst that age group. Because they're coming in and they're saying, you know, I, I know that I should obey God. I know that there's a moral will of God. I know in a general sense, he has a plan. He's writing a story. My life is a part of that story. But I just want to know, what should I major in? And what kind of career path should I pursue? And who should I date, let alone get engaged and eventually marry? And where should we move? And what kind of church should we look for? And those kinds of questions. How many kids should we have? And I think there was a sincere, I want to know what God wants me to do with each of those specific things in my life. And everyone's obviously not going to date, let alone marry the same person or move to the same place or have the same career at the same company. So you're saying, what should I do? What does God want me to do? And um, I, I don't think, honestly, that there's just a verse in scripture that outlines this individualized will of God in the same way that I just read verses that directly address the sovereign or the moral will of God. But there are lots of examples. I want you to just think of all the times that God spoke to someone and gave them a specific plan. I mean, just Noah built an ark. He didn't tell anybody else to build an ark. We're not, we're not into ark building in general, right? Um, Abram, get up and go to a land that I'll show you. Moses, Go back to Egypt and set my people free. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Joseph, take Mary as your wife. Mary, you're going to conceive the Messiah by the Holy Spirit. So there's lots and lots of examples. I'm going to give you hundreds of other examples in Scripture where God literally spoke to someone and gave them a specialized, unique kind of designer specific will for their life that was not true of other people. And I want you to stop and think for a moment of those three aspects of God's will, the sovereign, the plan of God, the purposes of God, or the moral ethical will of God, or the individualized, like, what should I do? 
that's special and different from other people, when you think of the will of God, which one are you usually thinking of? And again, I would suggest that in, in my experience, in all the conversations I have as a pastor, as a friend, as a spouse, as a parent, probably more than 90% of conversation is around the third category. Because most people understand God has a story that he's writing. Most people understand God has a moral will. But what am I looking for? I want what's unique to me versus other people. And this already brings us to the second point. What are the most popular views about how you find that will of God? And why should I maybe be careful with those views? And I'll just contrast the two most popular views are often called a traditional view and a charismatic view. And in the traditional view, which many, many godly Bible-believing people hold to, is that obviously you're reading the Bible, but as you're just going through life, God is going to give you all these signs. And often those signs come through providential circumstances. Sometimes those signs come through your inner feelings of peace or of angst about something. Often that comes through, you've sought a word of advice, which the Bible counsels you to do, and you're like, oh, this is a sign from God. This person told me I should go ahead. And I would just say, in this traditional view, you're like Sherlock Holmes, and there's all these clues that God is leaving for you in your world and in your life, and your, your goal, your role, if I could, is to find the clues and then kind of piece them together. What is God telling me? with these clues. So you're playing private investigator. The charismatic view just, and again, I'm like broadly overviewing these just very briefly, but the charismatic view is more like God will speak to you directly. And you may hear an audible voice, you may have just like a sensation. And again, many godly Bible-believing people believe this second idea that outside of scripture, like maybe in prayer or maybe as you're asking God, say something to me, People will say, well, he, he spoke to me. And other people will say, like, God's never spoken to me. I've never heard an audible voice, let alone a sensation that's so powerful, it felt like God saying, this is what you're supposed to do. And I had a number of situations in college where someone would go to someone else and say, hey, the Lord told me that I'm supposed to date you. And the girl would say, well, God didn't tell me that I'm supposed to date you. See, see how that works? Let me just give you some cautions. First of all, cautions about interpreting your circumstances, your providential circumstances. So, so the doctrine of providence, which I love, it, it does mean that God is actively working through your circumstances. God didn't just spin a world into existence, create people, and then kind of the deistic view is he kind of took his hands off and just lets it all run itself, and he is distant, he is far away, he cares, but he's not really still doing anything in our world or in our lives. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does teach the providence of God that he's actively sustaining and leading and coaching and counseling different followers of Jesus. That's a fact, okay? But the danger is our circumstances are not self-interpreting. So maybe some of you have heard this in discerning God's individual unique will for your life. Look for an open door, right? You've heard that. And that's somewhat scriptural. There is an example in scripture of Paul, the apostle, in church planting that says a door has opened to him. He actually says a wide door for effective work has opened to me, 
But it's interesting, his very next phrase is, and there are many adversaries. So many of us would probably have seen that as a closed door rather than an open door, because we're like, well, of course the open door is gonna be safe, it's gonna be simple, it's gonna be successful. It's not gonna look like opposition. It's not gonna look hard, challenging, painful, sacrificial. By the way, where, where does the Bible say in general that you're supposed to look for an open door? And what do you do if there are no open doors? Or there are three open doors? You see, because our circumstances aren't self-interpreting, sometimes we still don't know. And the very fact of an open door, or one time I heard a sermon entitled, Hell in the Hallway. So the idea of that sermon, what happens when you've lost one opportunity and a door has kind of closed behind you and you're kind of now in a hallway, as it were, and you see a bunch of closed doors? That's a hard place to be with God. When you're like, Lord, I'm here, I'm ready to go wherever you lead me, whatever you want me to do, but there's literally no open door. So how do I do your unique individual will for me when the door is closed? By the way, some open doors look closed, like I just mentioned with Paul, and some closed doors look open. It's not self-interpreting. Sometimes what we do because we believe in a God of providence is we design clever tests for God. You ever do this? Like, Lord, if you want me to ask her out, then, then what? And you just make up something. Or Lord, if you want me to take this job, then, then this is what's gonna happen. And uh, my first caution with that is the Bible literally says don't put God to the test, but we do that anyway because we, we see it in the Bible. We're like, didn't Gideon like put out the fleece? And he's like, God, if you want me to go and fight for you, you make the ground wet and the fleece dry. And so God does that. And the next day it's like, well, you got to reverse it the next day. And what we often miss in Judges chapter 6, the Gideon story, is God had already told Gideon what to do. This wasn't an act of faith. It was actually an act of doubt. He's like, okay, if you want me to do the thing, I mean, read the story. He's like, if you want me to do the thing that you said you want me to do, here's a test. And I think we just need to be careful, too, about what, what test are you devising? You know, Judges chapter 11, this man named Jephthah gives another test. He's like, God, if you give my enemies into my hand, then I'll offer as a burnt offering the first thing that comes out my door when I get home. And so he's like, okay, so what's the test? If, If God lets you win the battle, then God is for you, and you're making this sacrifice saying, thank you, you did that. So he wins the battle, and he goes home. He's like, boom, I know God wants me to do this. And the first thing that walks out of the door is his daughter that he's just said, I'll offer as a burnt offering. That isn't God's will. We know that. So there's a caution about, yes, is God actively working and caring for you and leading you partially through your circumstances? Yes, but that alone is not a great indicator, let alone a kind of bomb-proof indicator of this is the will of God. Um, Second caution, just a caution about your feelings. Um, You ever done this? I hear this all the time as a pastor. Someone will say, I just have peace about it. I'm going to do this because I have peace about it. Or I'm not going to do this thing because I don't have peace about it. And I'm just honestly curious, where does the Bible say that you will have an inner feeling of peace if you're doing the right thing versus the wrong thing? The Bible does say 
you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed or fixed on you because he trusts in you. The idea is peace comes with this trust in God, not subjectively in personal circumstances. You know, it was the will of God, the Father, to send Jesus to the cross. But you read, what is it, Luke 22, verses 42 through 44, and you find Jesus did not have existential peace about going to the cross. If he used a peaceful inner subjective feeling as the litmus test for how do I know the will of God, he would say, I have no peace about this at all. He's sweating blood out of his pores because he's in so much angst and grief about what's about to happen, of him laying down his life, taking on the sin of the world. By the way, some of the most obedient conversations that I've had in my life, I did not have peace about having the conversation, right? Sometimes it's even going and saying, you know what, I sinned against you. I hurt you in this way. Will you please forgive me? And I had a, a, a settling peace after that conversation, but I didn't have a peace going into it. That does not feel good to go to someone and say, I really hurt you. It also does not feel good to go to someone and say, you hurt me but we need to talk about it so we can make things right, so we can go back to the Lord's table and we're united instead of in conflict. Very often, the right thing is a very hard thing that you have absolutely no peace about. So inner feelings by themselves are not a great way of figuring out what does God want me to do. Thirdly, cautions about listening to advice. Um, And again, the Proverbs are full and other scriptures are full of the idea of, you know, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So instead of just living your life as an individual that's disconnected from other people around you, the Bible says you are wise to go to friends, go to spiritual leaders, go to spouse, a friend, and say, you know, before I do this, what do you think? You know how God has gifted me. You know how God is leading me, working. You know God's general moral will. What do you see in my life? That's, That's wise to do. But the caution about listening to advice is, again, as a pastor, I will often hear, I talked to another pastor who said it was okay to do this, or I should. And what we have to be careful of here is what's called confirmation bias, where basically your idea is already, your your mind is already made up of what you want to do. And if your mind is made up about what you want to do, or even what you think God is calling you to do, do you know you can always find someone who agrees with you? You can always find a voice or a tribe of people who are very supportive of really bad ideas. So be aware of your own leanings. Be aware of just listening to the kind of advice that you want to receive instead of someone saying like, hold on, pump the brakes. This is not a good idea. Or have you thought about this? Or have you thought about this? Or pray about this. Ask God about this. Let him continue to lead you. That's just a caution about advice. Cautions number four about listening for divine revelation. And I hear this often, God spoke to me, God told me. People very often say, like, God, God told me to do this, or God gave me a nudge, you know, to go talk to this person. And maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. One of my questions just right off the top is, where does the Bible say that God will continue to speak to you outside of the written word? Does the Bible say that anywhere? That he will continue to speak to you uniquely and specially and divinely. And maybe you're like, well, I've heard it. And a caution there is that 
what you heard is not self-authenticating. Was it the voice of God? Was that the spicy tacos that you had the night before for dinner, talking to you in the middle of the night? Like, really, sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we have an impression, and I've had them, of like, I just need to go and do this. And it feels like God is leading me or God is pushing me or, or pressing me into something or he's like saying something to me even though I don't hear an audible voice. I'm just saying there's a caution because it's impossible to prove a divine origin of what you heard or thought the impression that you had. By the way, have you ever noticed that God talking to you sounds a lot like you? It's called projection. That if, if the voice of God is always just kind of patting you on the back and confirming all of your ideas, that may not be God. Because again, the God I know is often like, ah, I would not do that. Or the way I lead is not always safe and successful. And, and oftentimes, if you read the stories in Scripture, you see God clearly led people. Like, like the time that Jesus tells his disciples, get in the boat and go across the other side. And what do they row right into? A massive storm. And if we're sitting there thinking, like, the voice of God will only lead me into higher and better and greater and more, then we'll miss what his voice is actually often saying. Also, we love and we believe the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. The Scripture says of itself that it contains everything that you need for life and godliness, that it is the way that God is communicating to you. And if you're constantly going through life just thinking, I don't have enough in Scripture to lead me, I need this extra voice, I need new revelation all the time, there's a caution there. By the way, be careful that you don't make God into someone who's extremely self-contradictory or you don't make God into a liar. And what I mean is when you say, God told me to do something. I mean, I've, I've had people tell me, God told me to leave my spouse and the affair that I'm having with this other person at work, God said it's okay because God spoke to me and said, I just want you to be happy. Well, you're a liar. God does not want you to just divorce your spouse and go hook up with somebody else because you want to be happy and experience the pleasures of sin for a season. By the way, Deuteronomy 18 says that if you say that God told you something and that thing turns out to be false, I'm not advocating for this, but in the old covenant times, what they did with that person is they killed them as a false prophet, okay? So I, I'm just saying let's, let's be cautious about both seeking this extraordinary, individualized, specialized, unique word of God just for me, then something that should be more respected is this is just an application of faith that's consistent with Scripture. Why are you doing this? And you're like, I don't know. God didn't speak to me, but this is an application of Scripture to the next thing I get to do. Lastly, in this category, just cautions about seeking positive outcomes. I've kind of said this already, but very often we reverse engineer God's will where we're like something good happened out of it so therefore it must have been God's will or something bad happened out of it therefore I guess I chose wrong and I was just talking with a friend yesterday about a season of my life and and some of our lives together collectively as a church where some things went wrong and it was hurtful but there isn't a doubt in my mind that we sought the will of God collectively that I sought the will of God, that God led in that way, 
and it was just hard. And you can't go back after the fact and just be like, well, it was hard, so therefore it wasn't of God. Because if you read the Bible, you'll see that God's perfect plan for everyone that the Bible tells a story about, including Jesus, that the will of God included these painful and difficult life lessons that very often as broken people, we don't learn any other way but through some kind of pain or some kind of disappointment or discouragement. Okay, so how can I know God's will for my life? This is what we started with this morning that Paul read. Paul read the words of another Paul, the Apostle Paul. If you don't know, the Apostle Paul wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. He was an apostle. He was a witness to the resurrected Jesus. He was a preeminent first-century missionary and church planter. And he wrote many, many letters to many, many different churches that he planted in different cities. And going back to Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10, this is what he says. And so... From the day we heard, and he's referring back to the reason I had us read verses 3 and 4, since the day we heard what? He's like, well, I preached the gospel, and I moved on to the next city. And, and many of you continued to hear the good news about Jesus. Jesus forgives your sin. Jesus frees you from idolatry. Jesus loves you. And he says, I heard of your faith. So many of you are trusting Christ. You're returning from your sin to believe in Jesus after I'm gone. So that's what he's talking about, okay? So from the day we heard of your faith in Jesus, he says, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So right there, I want you to see in scripture, it's a good thing to pray Lord, help me discover your will, right? It's right there. And it's a good thing to pray for other believers. Lord, would you help my family? Would you help my friends? Would you help people in my gospel community group? Would you, would you help them know your will so that they can walk in a manner worthy of you and please you in every respect? It's a great prayer, okay? It's right there. Now, a couple questions that I bring to this text or a couple key words to kind of unpack. What is God's will here? When he's praying for them, I want you to know God's will, and I'm praying that God shows it to you. It's the word thelema, which just means the desires and purposes of God. So really, I think he's talking about all three layers or facets of God's will. I want you to know his plan and purposes for all things. I want you to know his moral, ethical will, his desires of you. But to the degree that there is an individual will for your life, yes, I want you to know that. And then notice he uses three words that I think in our English language we probably use synonymously, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Okay, knowledge is just having thorough and definite information about something, okay? So you have field or subject matter experts, you know, and I, like, I dabble in different things. A lot of different things interest me from like science to outdoor stuff to history, current events, culture, but I'm an expert in very few things, really. But this, this definitive knowledge that God wants you to possess of his will is like you've gone deep and you've put down these roots into something, some, some foundation that is so stable, so reliable, so sure that the ground you're standing on is like, I know this is the will of God. 
I'm convinced this is the will of God because I have true and right and deep understanding of something. Wisdom is that applied knowledge now, okay? So you're taking that knowledge into the real world, and wisdom is kind of a skill to use that understanding in a way that causes you to act prudently, okay? And you, you all know, you kind of look at people and you're like, that's a wise person. Like, just with the information they have, they make good choices that not only work in the real world, but they, they, they fit with the way God has designed things. And then this word understanding, this is a fun one. It's, it's, too, it's a compound word that literally means to put things together. So going back to like the, the, the private investigator thing where it's like I have a piece from Scripture. I have a verse. I have an understanding of God's character. I see my circumstances, and it's literally like an understanding is like I'm putting it together. And I'm getting a clearer and clearer picture of what honors God. And what's the result of that knowledge and wisdom and understanding? It is walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's fully pleasing him. Okay, so let's apply this verse to each of the three categories of God's will. How would you know the sovereign will of God? How would you know, like, this is what God has planned. This is what's going to happen in the big picture. I don't mean what's going to happen tomorrow necessarily, what's going to happen in Denver What's going to happen in the United States, which doesn't really show up in prophecy the way some of you think it does, okay? But what's the big picture? How would you know the big picture of God? You would read the Bible, and you would come to understand the Bible, and you would put it together. How would you know the moral will of God? Like, what does God require, not only of me, but of all men and women and children? What does God desire of me morally, ethically? What is the right standard to align my life by? Again, you would read the Bible because this is where God clearly reveals not only himself, his own character, but he reveals his law. He reveals his commands. And we learn to love those things because we realize those commands, those boundaries, as it were, are there for our good. They're meant to direct us into certain things and away from certain other things that would truly be harmful to us, okay? But thirdly, how would you know the individual will of God? I mean, can we agree, like, there's, there's nowhere you can turn in the Bible that's going to say, hey, so-and-so, you should go to this college and major in this and marry her or him and have seven kids and live in Des Moines and, and buy a Ford F-150 white. Can we agree that's not in the Bible, okay, for any of us? And I think a fair question is, if this individual will of God is so important, I mean, it's my life. And I, and I will lean into the fact charitably that I think all of you, when you're asking for God to lead you and to show you his will, you're like, I want to please you. I, my motives are not bad, they're good. I want to please you. So if it's so important, why would God not tell you? Why would he not put it in his word or give you some fail-safe way of knowing for sure, go here, do this, apply here, take this position at this company, live in this neighborhood, buy this house. Okay, so here's my theory. It's called the 99% will of God. You want to know the vast majority of God's individual will for your life, here it is. 
99% of God's will for your life is exactly the same as his will for anyone else's life. And I don't mean to discourage you with that. I, I think it's actually encouraging of like how much I can discover of God's will for my life. And as I'm doing life in community with other believers, they can help me discover and I can help them discover this will of God that pleases him, that he loves, that he enjoys, that helps us enjoy him more. So 99% of your life is exactly the same will as everyone else who's following Jesus. And here's the other piece. That remaining 1% will come to you as you simply trust and obey Jesus. As you submit your life to the authority of his written word and his personal word, like Jesus walking with Jesus. We just finished a whole series on living an apprenticeship to Jesus. And if you're sitting back like, I see those 10 practices of Jesus' life, I'll do six and a half of them. Then what is your assurance that you're, you're taking the next right step in faith when you're not even acting on what you do know? Okay, do you really expect God to reveal his unique individual will for your life while you are actively living in disobedience to the will that you do know? And I wrote down two scenarios that I've, I've actually experienced, not, not me personally, but as a pastor, I know people who say, God, please show me who I'm supposed to marry while I sleep around. That, that is not a way of discovering God's will. When you are living in, God says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication. And the last time I said that, a year and a half ago, several people left the church and are like, wow, you're against fornication? Like, you're so uptight. Like, can't I just love Jesus and kind of just hook up, Netflix and chill? No, you can't. Because God said, that's not my will. But your holiness, your respect for your own body that God gave you and respect for another human being made in his image is too important for that. Another one I've seen is like, Lord, show me how I should invest for the future. But it's while I'm living a self-centered life of materialism, hoarding, and greed. And you have a great opportunity here at the end of the year to be generous just in the way that like the life of Jesus is generous and we're called to generosity. But if you're living a certain way toward money, like God sees that. Jesus even had parables, stories about this where he's like, if that's the way you're gonna handle unrighteous mammon, he says, so just secular money, who's gonna entrust to you the true riches? When with your money, with your God-given resources, you don't even steward those the way that you clearly are instructed in scripture, the same way everyone else is clearly instructed in scripture, but you want an investment strategy from God. See, so the, the big principle there is, do you really expect to get this unique, personalized, designer will of God for your life when God says, here's my will in my word, and you're like, nah, I'm not doing a lot of that. So here's how you know God's word. Just a couple things here in closing. Number one, study God's word to know Christ. Study God's word to know Christ. Because it's safe to say if you want to know God's individual will for your life, you would become extremely familiar with everything you could possibly know about the sovereign plan of God, that will, and also the moral, ethical will of God. And even those two things. See, if I know 
here's the story that God's writing, and I know my part in the story. Do you see how that already clarifies a lot of things about my individual will? It's like if I'm praying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and Jesus is like, okay, here's what my kingdom is like. Then I'm confronted with a situation where I don't really know what to do, and instead of praying to God and lobbing this Hail Mary prayer of like, please give me some unique word from the Lord, an audible voice, and I'm listening and I'm waiting, it's like, well, my kingdom is like this. Go do things that look like my kingdom. Go pray for things that look like my kingdom. And the next thing becomes clear to you. Or if you know just like, what does God desire of me? What does he require of me? What does his word say? Don't do this stuff because I didn't design you to do that stuff. I designed you to do this stuff and you will flourish. So, I mean, quick question is, is there anything in the revealed objective will of God that you would say, I know I'm not doing that? Because if I'm being honest with you, that's where I struggle. I don't struggle so much with like, I need to know, is it the white truck or the black truck? Or is it not a truck at all? It's a sedan. But then it better be a Subaru because I need four-wheel drive in Colorado. Where I live is I know that God calls me to do certain things that are hard. And I know other temptations that I have. And so I kind of park or set aside something that God commands in terms of loving him or loving someone else in my life. And I do the opposite, but then I want God to lead me. And God would say, I did lead you, and you, you won't even do that. So if you know your sto- the storyline of God, the plan, the purposes of God, you know, as Paul's leaving one of the churches he planted, he said, I declared to you all the full counsel of God, which is literally all the purposes of God. How are you going to know what to do next, church? He's like, I declared to you all the purposes of God. And they're like, okay, if that's God's purpose. I'm going to walk with that purpose. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That's why I said read the word looking for Jesus, looking to follow Jesus. Because it's not just a matter of following principles and statements and advice. Those are important. But really, as followers of Jesus, that's exactly what we're doing is we're following Jesus, the living word. And we know his character, and we know his passions. And as we align with those, I think the remaining 1% that we didn't know becomes very clear. So read the word of God, looking for Jesus. Secondly, seek wisdom. So as Paul is praying for a whole church and saying, I'm praying that God gives you wisdom, not to be redundant, but you are wise then to pray for the thing that Paul is praying for all the church. Ask God for wisdom. And do you ever do that? Instead of like, I need a specific word, just say, God, give me wisdom to, to make a decision that honors you and everything I know to be true about you. Give me that kind of wisdom. Then thirdly, spend time with and learn from wise people. And don't just listen for the confirmation bias thing that like, this is what I want to hear. Like, tell me more of that. No, 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 stop. Like, and, and you know you distance yourself from certain people because they will just tell you how it is. And when you're like, I want to do this and I want some confirmation that this is the will of God, you maybe get around a peer group that will be like, that's great. You, should, you guys should get together. 
when you know that a wise person in your life would be like, you guys should not get together. And, and that's just one example. But, but be around wise people and let that multitude of counselors be a part of the way that God is helping you understand and interpret your circumstances. And then finally, just take the next right step in faith. So I'm in the word of God, I'm praying for wisdom, I'm listening to other advice, and then take, and I said take the next right step, let me change that. Take a next right step. Because I think very often in your life, it's not like you're like, okay, with all the signs that I have, this is the next right step. I can only step here. You know what? I don't think God cares if your truck is white or black or red or green. I mean, I just don't think he cares about a lot of things in the sense that he has given them over to you. And he says, I've given you enough principles. What, what car do you want to drive? Then buy that car if it aligns with the rest of the will that's been revealed. What do you want to major in in college? Then do that if it aligns with the ways I've gifted you. What, what jo- you have a couple job opportunities. You pray for wisdom. What do you want to do? See, if we are washed in the word of God and following the person of God, and he's a good father, and I try to be a good father, and I think about just my, my relationships with my, with my own kids, and we have certain family rules in addition to, like, scripture, and as my kids get older and older, they have fewer and fewer of those boundaries, and they have more and more freedom to make their own decisions, and most of your parents probably raised you similarly. But do you think I'm sitting back here like I have a predetermined exact course mapped out for each of my kids and at every step, I'm just gonna litter clues around their lives and hope that they find them and put them together the right way and make the right choices? Or do you think it's more like this where I say, Kids, walk in obedience. Like, you know what our family's about. We're trying to follow Jesus together. Walk in obedience to God. So when you're walking in obedience, because now they're on Christmas break, and we don't have, like, babysitting. We're just parents, okay? So I'm like, I don't care if you obediently read books or obediently practice the piano or obediently go out on the driveway and practice your hockey slap shot or stick handling skills. I don't care if you are obediently crafting the perfect espresso drink or obediently hanging out with your friends. I don't care. Do something that honors God. James Petty says, wisdom is not intelligence or a vast store of factual information. It's not cleverness at obtaining one's goals. It is the ability to apply in life the character and purposes of God. And family, I think if you're following the 99% will of God, again, that, that remaining 1% about how exactly do I spend my time? How exactly do I spend my money? Do I go here or here? God is such a good father. He's like, do what you enjoy. Do what pleases me, but take a next right step in faith. And very often that's all you see is like the next right step. I don't see a week out. I don't see a month out. I don't see a year out. But I can see this honors God. Is it the thing I was supposed to do 
and you get all in turmoil inside of like, was this the right, it's a right thing. And that honors God. And you're, you're living this life that pleases him. And I think that's what Paul is communicating to us. I think that's what the rest of scripture is communicating to us. Know his word, love his word. We're at the beginning of a year. I do hope many of you deliberately set up some kind of reading plan, just so you're going through scripture. And you're, you're not going specifically to the scripture. You're like, what's the scripture that addresses my vocation? But you're letting all of scripture speak into your vocation. Does that make sense? You're, you're not just looking at the verse that's like, what about relationships? You're, you're looking at how all the scriptures guide your relationships, like dating, marriage, family, in-laws, friends, peers, all those things. Let all the scripture. So be in the word. We have tools that I'm going to be sharing next week and the following to help you be in the word this year, to be in this kind of prayer where you're seeking the wisdom of God. But this is a great first step. I think many of you, all of you maybe, are genuinely seeking the will of God. And hopefully this helps. Be in the word. Look for Christ. Take the A next right step in faith.